Welcome to the IAB UK podcast. Hello and welcome to the IAB UK podcast. I'm James Chandler, Chief Marketing Officer at the IAB, and I'm joined once again by a smattering of quite brilliant guests, ready to surprise and delight you with their hopes, dreams and ponderings on digital advertising. This week, we're getting into content verification, reviewing the headline-grabbing stories from the past seven days, and dragging another member kicking and screaming into the quickfire question hot seat. They love it, really. But first up, how can advertisers get the balance right when it comes to content verification? What's the difference between brand safety and brand suitability? And where do publishers stand in all of this? I sat down with GSK's EMEA Senior Media Director, Jerry Dakin, and Katie Grosvenor, Head of Sales for Northern Europe at Integral Ad Science. We started by talking about the state of content verification today. Before we got into the big, bad, programmatic world we're in now, we were in a place where we could buy things, you know, from publishers that we knew, that we kind of knew where it was going to run. Suddenly, stuff becomes automated and it runs in places where we, we don't know. That's a, good, that's a good thing. And there's tools in place to help us understand how things are being seen, where, where they're brand stuff. So the intention behind all that stuff was really good, Katie. But we're at a point now where... There's some brilliant examples of it being used well, but there's some bits where it's maybe not working so Mm -hmm. well. Tell us the sort of the view of the world as you see it. So I think we are getting to a place where the technology is now understanding the semantics and the nuances of how things are measured and kind of in terms of a brand safe slash suitability world. I think there are two key things that still need to be considered and it's like with everything there's a human element Mm. so a brand knows their kind of values and morals better than anybody else so it's working really closely with the brand to having the right parameters um there's lots of chat around keywords Mm. i don't know if if we 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 want to go into that and kind of the overzealous use of that but i think there's still a place for it because you know there are certain areas you won't want to go but More and more so the technology is going in the direction where you understand kind of content and semantics and and understanding the content on a page in the same way that a human would. So I think we're moving in the right direction. From an advertiser point of view, Jerry, surely tools like this, content verification or whether it's telling you viewability, these things are good things, right? Super good things, the tools. Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a shame in a way we have the challenge and need the tools. Mm. But I, I mean, and in your potted history of kind of of where we've been is is exactly that. And I think on the brand on the advertiser side, we've been guilty at times of kind of jumping between the extremes of complication and oversimplicity. Like when you know when programmatic first began, we either usually kind of boil it down to sort of one line on a plan where it's mysterious programmatic or we go the other end and we try and take marketers through like what's a dsp and what's an ssp and what's happening to all the tech stuff in the background which frankly very few marketers really really need to know the detail of and i think we're trying to now find the the right level of understanding that you know there is a lot of complexity in this system you as a marketer only need to understand so much um and tools are a really big part of that because the tools are kind of that that level at the top which is helping you see what's happening through that system helping you understand where your impressions are going what they're appearing alongside whether people are seeing them and i think it's really important to get marketers to focus in on bits like that where they can have a big impact and yeah if they if they want to go and learn about the detailed you know ad tech stack by all means but every marketer has a responsibility to at least pay attention to some of that like where their ads are going what their funding that kind of stuff is it as much as a hygiene factor now you have to have that stuff in place you're not kind of running bareback for want of a better phrase somewhere else we, we couldn't be doing and you, you couldn't have any you couldn't imagine a world where you would 
could or should do that now? It's an interesting question. I, so, I sometimes philosophically wonder to myself like whether the future of advertising is forever every single impression needing that. And I don't necessarily know the answer. I think at the moment, probably, because um, you know, for, for a big advertiser like ourselves, you know, we care an awful lot about where adverts appear, about what they appear alongside, about the reputation of our brands, but also you know, the safety and the, the goodwill of our consumers. So yeah, I think you know, there, are, there are alternatives. You know, it's shocking to say, but you don't have to buy programmatically. There are you know, direct partnerships and I think that's a really healthy part of a media mix. And when you're doing some of those, there is perhaps less reason for these tools. They, they still can be useful, things like understanding the viewability, understanding other things that they report. But yeah, at the moment, if you're a big advertiser working in this space, it's, it's quite risky to be sort of flying completely blind and not, not at least using some sort of tool, whether it's some of the ad tech you might use might have native tools. But yeah, you want to have something. Yeah. I think the positive effect has been, just to add to that, is because there has been a view on it, whereas you might not have been completely sure in a programmatic world, actually, because there's been a focus from everybody, things are now start to be able to be measured, kind of aligned, you know, more and more people yeah. are being, so we're, we're getting there, things are improving across the board. So that's where there's been a positive effect by focusing on it, I think. We often talk about these tools as kind of avoiding the bad, but they're also a really good part of chasing the good as well, like looking for websites which are delivering like really, really good content for you, you know, high viewability, really good brand safety passes, and then like honing in and, and saying, well, what are those websites and how do I make sure I appear there more? And using them as kind of a, a positive optimizer as well as like the fear factor. It's not all about like, oh, what am I avoiding? Some of yeah. it's like, how do I get better? How do I drive more effectiveness? How do I move to more quality environments? How do we get back some of that context we used to talk about with traditional advertising? So it kind of it kind of works on both sides, I think. Tell me, Jerry, when you get into I'm thinking brand safety specifically how far does that go up within an organisation? I mean, is it at board level? There's the sort of the reputational risk, of course, no one on a board or a staker in any business wants that brand that you've built over years and years and carefully created to ever be at risk. But how far does it go up the food chain? I mean, have you got CFOs at board level asking about how are we mitigating against some of this stuff? I think you do. I think, regrettably, one of the main reasons we do is that, you know, over the last few years, there have been some really substantial brand safety um, issues. You know, get your brand on the front page of the Sunday Times in a pretty questionable context. And yes, your CEO does care. I've seen, you know, firsthand, you know, that situation with other advertisers. Um, I think, and it's in a way a shame that it's taken that kind of kick to get there. But I think it's important and you know, definitely now CMOs. I think, yes, yeah, CFOs, CEOs. I mean, they're not, again, they don't want to know the, the weeds and the details, but they absolutely want to know something's being done. They want to have a kind of a clear internal story. And I think that's a, a lot of this stuff gets very technical very quickly. And one of the arts of it is break it down to the key building blocks. So the CEO doesn't necessarily need to know the huge exact details, but they need to know, you know, you have an approach, you're using certain technology, you have certain things in place. The CMOs I've worked with in my last couple of jobs absolutely ask questions about this. And from both a positive and negative angle like are we doing the right stuff to avoid stuff but also are you driving better effectiveness for my business are you making my brands grow faster and also like for the conversations we have um like with procurement teams and financial teams on things like ad fraud you know you know how much of my money is actually going nowhere so that's the sort of more and more having conversations with those teams as well articulate if you can this difference that is are talking about between brand safety and brand suitability because it is very nuanced isn't it so i think brand safety is essentially the flaw 
it's the protection. It's kind of the core of what we do. But so the, it's, it's illegal stuff. So it the, could be pornographic. It's, the things you don't want to be it. against. And then brand suitability is kind of actually whilst maintaining that protective layer, the customization that goes on top of that. So um, and to Jerry's point, what you don't want to appear against, but also what you do want to appear against, mm. it's going to amplify your message. So that's why contextual targeting is becoming more and more important, actually. Have you got any boomer uh, examples you can uh, give us? I guess an, an easy example would be for a chocolate brand. Mm. You know, some people have long lists. You might have death in your keyword list, but actually... The opportunity for a chocolate brand to be against an article on death by chocolate, the oh, dessert, chocolate. <laughs> is is actually is actually a really positive mm. thing, you know. And same with things like nude for a, you know, it, some people go, oh, you don't want to be anything around nudity, mm. but for a cosmetics brand, actually, Got nude it. lipstick. So yeah. that's where it's really important to start understanding kind of a. The semantics of a page in as the way a human would. And is the technology there? The, the promise always was. Certainly when I was in an agency, particularly around keyword targeting, we were doing things with like vibrant media back in the day, those really early days. The technology was there to fully understand the semantics of a page. So if I'm an airline brand, I don't want to necessarily be against a article about a plane crash, but the technology is pretty advanced and nuanced in this way. Yeah, and increasingly so. You know, is there ever a um, silver bullet against risk? I think it would be hard to say not yeah. 100%. But absolutely, contextual targeting now and understanding those pages is far, even in the short amount of time I've been in this sort of space, yeah. has come on. So, And it's really interesting and it's positive. It's a positive conversation when you start talking about that, yeah. as opposed to this ah, kind of scary brand safety, yeah. what don't I want to go against kind of conversation. For me, a big part of it is knowing sort of when you should and shouldn't have your settings like really tight and really controlled. And I think they're kind of different pools you're fishing in there's kind of like if you know the websites you're advertising on if they're sort of high profile news journalism websites you can be pretty sure that although there are still obviously awkward places where perhaps you don't want your ads and you know an airline crash is a very good example of that it's very different to appear in a news story about a terrorist attack versus your money accidentally funding an organization that makes that happen and therefore you know there's to the point you made about you know do you have to track and have settings on absolutely everything if you're working in you know very high quality environments then you can kind of sometimes take a step back and say like you know what i want to be alongside breaking news and this that and the other so i'm only going to have like some really really quite small things that I won't appear alongside. Whereas if you're sort of fishing in kind of what we'd call it the more open internet and, you know, potentially just appearing on tens or hundreds of thousands of websites, then I think you have to be very careful about kind of what's on your list. And I used to work at an alcohol company and, you know, Frozen was on one of the lists of words not to appear alongside because Disney has a very popular film called Frozen. I'm for kids, it's, film yeah, I mean, many people listening probably are. Not a great place for an alcohol brand to appear. Absolutely. Yes. It's very important to avoid content that kids would likely be looking at At the same time you know frozen cocktails strawberry daiquiris is a whole like you know summer segment they do want to talk about how do you step through that slightly complicated semantical world yeah well we're on news i guess newsworks in particular tracy has been very very vocal about you know publishers in particular news brands are getting a really hard time at the end of this because there feels like you know hard news if you like whether that could be around brexit or around general election or anything that we you know go, go onto a news site they feel like they're getting the really raw end of this deal what's your take on it katie in working with some of them 
I think, yeah, we do work with kind of with publishers as well as brands and agencies. And obviously we kind of hear their frustrations mm. and you understand their frustrations, obviously, because a lot of time and effort and, you know, financial effort goes into creating content. So you absolutely understand their frustrations. What we, uh, the greater we as a society, don't mm. want to happen is to block premium content because then you wonder who else is who's creating the news right so so yeah. whose hands do you leave news in so completely uh, understand their frustrations uh, i think uh, what we were talking about in terms of those developments understanding the page will kind of hopefully alleviate some of that pressure for them but i do think it goes back to the controls that you were talking about there was 2016 era of trump lots of people not wanting to appear next to content in trump yeah I'm a Guardian reader. I read a lot of Trump articles. There's nothing there that's brand unsafe for me. So I think people became very concerned. And actually, it goes back to that, like, let's pull out, let's kind of be strategic about what controls you have in place. Yeah. You know, and actually categorization as well as things like lists and what have you. Uh, I had the slightly bonkers experience of going with Tracy to the United Nations last year. I saw the selfie. The, I mean, what, the, yeah, the it's, selfie a good, it's a good place fantastic. to take a selfie. To the, the Human Rights Council dragged us in. Not <laughs> anything personal that we'd done. I should probably <laughs> legally disclaim at this point. But that was, yeah, and we're both involved in this thing called the Conscious Advertising Network. And actually, I mean, we talked about, you know, brand safety, brand suitability hasn't quite stuck it, but I'm working on brand consciousness as the kind of the level above it. And I think that's when you start realising that the kind of the money we spend as advertisers is ultimately an investment in the internet. And, you, you know, you talked about it, you know, you want to invest in high quality news and journalism, or even if it's quite frivolous entertainment, etc. It doesn't all have to be kind of super worthy. But you'd rather like really good quality entertaining stuff existed. And, on, and also it's a better place for your brand. Your consumers are likely to be more engaged. You've got better kind of surrounding scenery where you're going to appear higher quality versus, you know, the, the other extreme, which is some of it is like the awful hate speech and some of it, but some of it is just like, you know, rubbish content, you know, celebrity slideshow, plastic mm-hmm. surgery kind of content designed as sort of clickbaity to get kicks, often designed to drive viewability and stuff like that where it can look good on paper if you're not paying close attention. And, and I think a real opportunity for brands to kind of consciously and partly for the good of the world and that, but it's also all those things I just said about quality and, and delivery, pay some attention to what you're funding. And I think, you know, it, it goes into another passion of mine, which is around um, kind of LGBT rights and minorities. And, and we've seen, unfortunately, some of the way that these kind of brand keywords are applied can be quite sort of sweepingly blocking out those. There was some research done by Vice and a, f- a few bunch of other different people have drawn on it, showing that, you know, words like uh, lesbian and Muslim and Asian are sometimes, you know, blocked more often than murder and rape and some things that you would probably yeah. think should be higher up those lists. And, and Vice was basically saying it because they were saying, as a business, when they write a positive story about the LGBT community, about the Muslim community, or a, a number of different, you know, minority communities, they see the kind of their monetization of that drop off a cliff because so many advertisers who've kind of become too nervous and too worried about that have kind of thrown some of those words in and some of these block lists can be you know 20 30 thousand words so it's you know by the time you write that many words it's easy to have an article in there and, and even like local news and there's an organization that did some research looking at brazil and the rise in corruption as local news outlets vanished you know there's some real some real facts out there that you know where we spend our money matters and i think it's it's good for advertisers to start paying a bit more attention to that again do you think as 
everything becomes digital escalator panels back of taxi all this kind of all the screens basically get lit up and connected to the internet are the rules that we've created in desktop and mobile are they going to apply to the rest of these screens as well you know am, am i going to be there on escalator panel coming up at waterloo and have to understand context of where it's sat versus somewhere else particularly as everything becomes automated are we are way off that and well we're certainly being asked more and more about other kind of digital um, platforms. Obviously, we're in CTV now, but people have spoken to us about out of home. Obviously, what we kind of have to understand is people use things in different ways, right? So um, we look at our mobile in a different way from how we look at our TV. And, you know, when we're walking past a poster at Victoria, that's different again. So news article surrounding it. I I think we've got to be sensible mm-hmm. about trying to measure everything apples for apples yeah. but at the same time you do want an element of being able to kind of compare and contrast but I think that's not only in verification data that then comes with kind of the other data that you overlay it with right mm-hmm. location data or whatever that may be. Uh, yeah, our home does have context though so, so yes. I, I think you know schools are one of the most famous examples of like you know what you show an advert around a school you might want to be a mm. little bit careful of it's yes. not a great place for an alcohol There's company the to appear the dog one with the nihilcholics yeah slightly wrong around exactly school, yeah. and and you can imagine sort of brand safety issues coming up when you know advertisers didn't quite realize they were appearing there and there are probably some others to do with transport and roadside and things mm. i can't quite think of without you know mm. working in some of those other industries but yeah, there's definitely a watch out there it's, it's going to be different though isn't it because it's much less about the personal it's much less about that and you're using data and and programmatic in in different ways more to do with you know time and weather and things like that but yeah there there might be some pitfalls in there hopefully our good friends in the out-of-home industry are having a look into (laughs) jerry dakin katie grosvenor thank you very much indeed for joining us thank you thanks for having us and we could have gone on for so much longer with that jerry's point on when you go beyond content verification and you look at verification more broadly bringing things like viewability basically if you go at that with a very binary black and white approach you're probably not going to get the best out of it the nuanced way is always the best way Uh, for more advice take a look at the content verification guide on our site created in partnership with a host of industry partners including the aop newsworks isbar and the ipa just go to iabuk.com and search for content verification iab uk Next up, we're channeling our innermost Andrew Marr with our own review of the papers. And by papers, we actually mean online news. The IB's Tom Stevens returned to the podcast to ask campaign's Omar Oaks what had caught his eye this week. This month's issue is the BAME edition, an issue that campaigners have clearly been taking really seriously for a long time. But the first time I think you focused a whole issue around the topic. I'm just wondering what drove that decision and how that's been received. Well, we held um, an afternoon in, I think it was October, seems like a long time ago now, where it was our Changing Faces event, where we wanted to discuss the steps that needed to be taken to increase the number of BAME people in the industry. I've been at campaign for nearly five years and it is frankly quite irritating to be still be talking about the need to increase BAME talent in the industry. So this issue was an opportunity to feature some alternative voices. Yes, we're there to report industry news and to reflect views, but we should also be 
challenging the industry and where we think it needs to go. So I'm really glad we did it. And I hope we'll see a future where we're not having to do, we don't feel the need to do a BAME issue in the future. Totally. And I think Campaign is in a kind of unique position to be able to set the agenda in print, online, and even at your events. I remember Magnus' speech at the start of the Campaign Big Awards last year Yes, was really rousing. And so giving that platform is super important. Yeah, for listeners' benefit, that was quite an emotional speech in which he said he was quite irritated by people coming up to him and saying, ah, you must be Magnus, because, you know, he is one of the very few black senior leaders of an agency in this industry. Yeah, evidently still a lot of work to do and something we could probably talk about for much longer. Mm. We're here to look at uh, the week in the news of Adland. So what stories this week have jumped out for you, Omar? Well, there have been a lot of interesting ads, a lot of interesting junk food ads in particular for whatever reason. I mean, you know, they're big advertisers. They're always spending a lot of money and doing new things. Tesco and its plaster for diverse skin, which is... About time. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. It's one of those great things in marketing. And if you have to slap your head and you think, why didn't I think of that? It seems so Mm. simple. That's when you're onto a winner. We talk about how, you know, campaign having a brand purpose. Increasingly, brands are, you know, they're dipping their toe into the water, some headfirst. There is definitely a movement for more brand purpose. And if you can do it well, if you can be authentic then that's really going to resonate with consumers today. And do we count mouldy whoppers as brand purpose as well? Because I think there is a point behind that. The mouldy whoppers, Burger King, yes. So for listeners' benefit again, Burger King put out an ad where you could actually see this whopper degrading over, I think, 30, 34 days, and it just goes all horrible and mouldy and disgusting. It's really gross. Yeah. And the implicit message is, look how fresh our ingredients are compared to a certain other fast food rival who you may have seen videos on YouTube about how their burgers can last in perpetuity almost because of um, all the preservatives in it. I presume many consumers are sophisticated enough to understand the message, but can you get away from that visceral feeling of being grossed out by this burger? Just, you know, just, just oh, looking awful. It's, uh, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I'm very sceptical whether it's actually going to work. Also, some big numbers from TikTok this week. So... Interesting um, estimate from eMarketer. By 2021, they estimate that TikTok is going to grow to over 10 million users just in the UK. I'm sure your listeners know that TikTok has just grown amazingly well in the last couple of years. I think one of the most downloaded apps towards the end of 2019. Marketers have been interested in TikTok because it's done very well reaching a very young user base. And young users are increasingly more difficult to reach in media because, you know, they ain't watching linear TV Mm. as your mum and dad were. Problem is, it's quite expensive. Privately, you know, media agencies say that it's really expensive to buy on TikTok. And TikTok are working hard to explain what what the product is about, offer more ad formats. It's funny that they seem to be on a journey that Snapchat were on, I guess, three years ago, where the platform was seen as kind of expensive, kind of niche, reach young people. But can you go beyond that? This growth in TikTok, it suggests that maybe it's going to reach an older audience, which is interesting. And is it going to, I guess, graduate to become a more serious platform? We'll wait and see. And last thing that we've got to discuss is coronavirus suddenly became quite real for people in Adland this week with a couple of agencies closing. What do you know? And I should say we're speaking on Friday the 28th. So by the time this comes out, anything could have changed, I think. 
What's happened this week is somebody, an OMD London employee, was flying back to London from Australia. They were working at, I think, Sydney, and they went via Singapore, and they were essentially, it seems like they have the flu. But, you know, as a standard precaution, I mean, it is for many international businesses now where if somebody has flu-like symptoms and they've been in an area with known cases, then they should take precautions. And what Omnicom Media Group, um, the parent of OMD, has done is they've said that for the rest of the week, stay at home, all our employees, and this person's going to be tested, and then we'll see how the test goes. And then we hope to reopen on Monday. They have a sister media agency, PhD, next door in Fitzrovia, which has done the same thing. And it came out in Australia that OMD Sydney is also closed for Friday as well. So, you know, standard precautions. But it's interesting because it's one of the first UK businesses to actually shut its doors Mm. over coronavirus precaution. I suspect, frankly, we're going to see many more businesses over the next few days take a similar path. I think everyone has got to be cautious and we, along with the rest of the UK population, will be following that extremely closely. Yeah, and I I just want to say, you know, I I have a large amount of sympathy with them. I don't know this employee, whoever they are, but it must be terrible when, you know, you're just doing your job and, you know, you get the flu and it's that time of year where you can get flu. All this happens and, you know, it's... you know, you forget sometimes that this is an industry of people. You hope she's okay and you hope um, her colleagues are all right because it's a worrying thing to have this happen. Before we wrap up, just wanted to ask what might be in the pipeline. What's the most exciting story you've written in the last few weeks? What is really interesting me is what's going to happen for the year ahead. So what we do every year at the beginning of the year in campaign, we write about the year ahead. What's going to happen this year? And writing about technology as I do from time to time as tech editor i am massively excited by the boring aspect of ai this year and what i mean by that is we've heard about ai is going to change this that and the other for the next year but i think it could really have an impact this year in ways that you might not even see because back-end systems in terms of if you're a you know if you're a media agency for example in terms of planning All these different channels and international markets and different ways of doing things programmatically, for example, you can't really do a media plan on a spreadsheet for a lot of these things you want to do nowadays. And we're seeing artificial intelligence systems actually working their way into the back end. We've seen it on a larger scale with companies like Publicis Group, which have introduced this um, tool called Marcel, which is an AI-based platform, which... In theory, any employee can log onto the platform and work with any other publicist group agency around the world on international projects. I think that's going to be an aspect which not necessarily talked about, but really is going to start making an impact in 2020. We'll have to get you back on this time next year to see uh, see what happens. No, the whole point about the whole point about predictions is you don't. I I read about um, a website yesterday where they actually started holding tech predictions to account, and um, I I have to dig out the the website address and give it to you. But that's a scary prospect because you know half the people in the industry making prognostications. You know, we love predictions. (laughs) We love, but we've got to follow through. Omar, thank you very much. You can listen to the campaign podcast out weekly at Campaign Live. Omar Oaks, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. The IAB UK podcast. This week, facing our 10 quickfire questions is Piers North, Group Digital Director at Reach, who are, of course, the UK's biggest commercial, national and regional news publisher. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Piers. Thank you, James. You're in fine company. We've had Ben from News UK, Nick from The Guardian, Dora from The Telegraph, who are in a long line of esteemed 
news brand colleagues. Yeah, no pressure then. No, not at I'll all. I'll try to live up to the yeah. expectation. Very good, I'm sure you will. Very straightforward. I ask 10 questions and you get precisely 60 seconds to answer them all. Are you ready? I'm ready. What's the most useless piece of technology you wish you'd never bought? Oh, uh, sat-nav. About two weeks before I bought a car with a sat-nav in it. <laughs> what was and your... like, who buys sat-navs now? <laughs> like, and it's probably about a week before Waze came out. So, yeah, a Garmin. How's their share price doing? I have no idea. What was your first job? Roofer. Oh. Yeah, so if you need flat roof tile, slate, I'm your man, give us a call. Incredible. Aside from Google and Bing, how many old search engines can you name? Yahoo. I mean, I was there for nine years, so... <laughs> but other than that, uh, what, AltaVista, Lycos, Ask Jeeves, DuckDuckGo, Yandex. I don't know if they're old or new, but yeah, there's a few I mean, out there, is pretty it? good. That, that could actually be a yeah, record. Yeah. Who's your industry hero? Oh, I don't like the term hero for work because I think it's overused. I guess the biggest influence is James Wildman, who was my old boss at Yahoo and Trinity Mirror, now at Hearst. Favourite regional news site? I would say Football London, which is one of our local football websites. I'm a Palace fan, so Football London. What advice would you give your 21-year-old self? Ooh, uh, don't be a dick. Ooh, do you, you have to bleep that, <laughs> don't I? Totally fine. Not that I am, I hope. Everyone's going to go, he's a dick for saying that. It's a fair <laughs> Don't be show. a dick. The most compelling story you've seen written in the mirror recently? Ooh, I don't know if it's recent, but some of the stuff we've done on organ donation, it's a campaign rather than a story, but, you know, you can be too worthy in this industry sometimes, but changing the law on organ donation I think was pretty cool. Do you have a party trick? No. What's the most obscure piece of feedback you've ever been given? Don't shoot the cow. Long story behind that one. <laughs> Last King of Scotland film with James McAvoy. Yeah. Uh, watch it when he shoots the cow. It's a risk, high-risk decision he makes. You've got to be careful when you shoot the cow. Right, very good. Uh, and finally, what are you reading right now? Hmm. Uh, I'm reading Snow and Steel, which is the history of the Battle of the Ardennes in 1944 by Peter Caddick Adams. It's great. If anyone's interested, talk military history all day. <laughs> Brilliant. Piers North, that's your 10 quick fire questions. Thank you very much indeed. Cheers, James. And that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks for joining me and don't forget to share, rate and spread the word. For more information on what the IAB does and how you can get in touch with us, visit iabuk.com or at iabuk on Twitter and Instagram. And as ever, we'd love to hear your feedback. Just email podcast at iabuk.com. We'll be back in two weeks, getting down with direct-to-consumer brands to find out how they're doing things differently. Until then, goodbye. IAB UK, building a sustainable future for digital advertising. <laughs>